It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. One downside to the way that we do our podcast is that it's not always super timely. We are recording this episode on February 1st, and you are likely listening around or after February 10th and 2021, I should say too. Like that's the one big thing is I suppose people may listen years in the future, Jason, if we're fortunate enough. But anyways, it feels frustrating sometimes because we wish that it could be super timely. I suppose, Jason, we could start posting the videos to YouTube and then it would be timely because we don't edit those. And uh, the reason it takes a little bit of time for our episodes to come out after we record them is because they go through an editing process. And currently with YouTube, we kind of just slap them up there. I do a tad bit of editing just to get it to display properly. So if you haven't checked out our YouTube yet, our YouTube channel, I should say, you can go over there and see some of our recordings. But you won't see this one because today Jason and I agreed that we didn't feel like recording video, mainly because I turned on my camera, noticed that the shirt I'm wearing is stained with the delicious lunch that I ate earlier, very sloppy, and uh, my hair is kind of a mess. And while I really am a big believer in showing up as you are and not being too worried about being camera ready, (laughs) there's some days where I'm like, "Mm, I don't really feel comfortable (laughs) presenting this side of myself on YouTube. You know, it's interesting too, just on that note, Jason, how we get so nervous about other people perceive us. And we've talked about in some recent and upcoming episodes, the concept of cancel culture. And I think many of us are afraid to show ourselves in the state that I'm in today because we're worried that we won't get the benefit of the doubt or something like that first impression. I actually noticed this. This is a complete tangent and we'll get to the big point of this show today. But one more thing I will say is there was an interesting TikTok video the other day of a girl posting about an experience she had in a dating app. And she had shared a photo with this guy and he commented on her eyebrows. And it was a little cruel the way he handled it, which was her point. But myself and a lot of people in the comment section were saying how, well, maybe the guy didn't handle it super well. But it's true that the very second that I turned on the video, I noticed her eyebrows and kind of took me aback a little because of the way she'd styled them. And I personally don't judge people for things like that, but I notice it. And I think that's the point here is like, I'm not necessarily worried all the time about people judging me. It's like that little fear of someone noticing something and then it affecting their perception of me, which I guess maybe is judgment. I don't know. That's just the long-winded answer to why we don't record every single episode at this point. As Jason and I said in the past, like we don't really want to get camera ready, but (laughs) some days we're perhaps more naturally comfortable and confident on camera than others. And today is not one of those days. All right, let's get to the main subject matter, which I think actually all of this can kind of be tied into in some ways, which is another discussion about Clubhouse app. On January 31st, which was yesterday for us at the time of this recording, Clubhouse, this this newer social media networking application that you can get kind of crossed a new level, I suppose. It went into a different stage is a better word because they had Elon Musk on the app. And my dad was actually the one that told me about this. And once I learned about it, it was 
all over Clubhouse, all over social media. People were so excited about Elon Musk coming onto this live audio only platform, myself included, because I'm fascinated by Elon Musk. And I also love Clubhouse. So to combine the two of them, I was like, this is awesome. And I planned my whole night around listening. And I'm going to turn it over to Jason to share about the feelings that you had leading up to this. And then we can talk about the experience and then our thoughts on it. And I I just feel like this is an interesting subject matter because there's so many different elements to this. Elon Musk is always an interesting person to discuss. Social media is interesting. People's reactions to social media, as well as some of the subject matters that came up, like the stock market, which we've touched upon in some episodes. So Jason, let's start with hearing your overall you know, experience leading up to this event and what made you want to tune into it? The feeling that I got leading up to it was the unbelievable amount of excitement, anticipation, and hype around it. And Whitney and I, we were texting back and forth prior to the event last night, which was at 10 p.m. Pacific, of how many people were tweeting and putting it on their Instagram stories and just even random people. I remember swiping through stories and looking at different social media posts of how hyped people were. And it was interesting to me because it's not as if Elon hasn't spoken at length. We've listened to many, many different, I suppose, platforms or capsules where Elon is talking about his life philosophies, his life's work, what his visions are. So it's not as if we haven't seen him you know, in Joe Rogan's podcast twice, talking for hours and hours. I've also watched plenty of YouTube interviews and Uh, panel discussions with him because I do find him fascinating, much like Whitney, his life viewpoints and the things that he's putting his energy and financial resources into, which I particularly, Whitney, want to dig into some of the subject matter regarding some of the stuff he's doing with Neuralink and in particular, his desire to build a human colony on Mars by 2050. I really want to dig into the ethics and the intricacies of that discussion. But Elon fascinates me simply because I think that he is probably in my estimation, you know, aside from authors like maybe Philip K. Dick, he, I think, is the embodiment right now in our society of someone who is an, I would consider an uber futurist, someone who is looking at not only his financial accomplishments and his market valuation of his businesses, but leveraging his financial worth and his power into some pretty radical ideas for the future of humanity. I find them radical in many ways because of my own belief systems, again, that we'll dig into. But it was interesting, Whitney, to see the hype around it. And when we went on Clubhouse and we finally got on, we couldn't even get into the room for the first few minutes. And there were overflow rooms with literally, I think you estimated, Whitney, there might have been just, again, a roundabout estimate, maybe 50,000 people. There might have been 10 separate rooms with 5,000 listeners per room. I mean, it was nothing like we've seen on this app before. And it shows you the interest in this man. At the time of this writing, he keeps flip-flopping between him and Jeff Bezos for the world's richest. They're both closing on a net worth of $200 billion. And again, going back to kind of his desire to do some things with Neuralink and human consciousness and Mars colonization, he said it would take probably minimum a quarter of a trillion dollars to pull this off. Now, his net worth is getting very close to a quarter of a trillion dollars, so I don't think that that's any coincidence. But I find him just fascinating for so many reasons, Whitney. So many reasons. And some people think he's a cyborg. Some people think he's an alien. I just think that his consciousness and his particular acumen and his talent and intelligence is focused on 
very specific things he wants to accomplish. It's really interesting to get all of these different responses to him. One thing I did after his talk was I went into this room with a few people that I had met previously on Clubhouse. And I thought they were going to talk about some other things, but a lot of the conversation ended up being about Elon Musk and his talk. And a number of people in there were pretty critical of him. They were critical of his talk in general, which I think I've seen a variety of people sharing how they didn't feel like the moderators of this event were that great. Like they wanted it to be deeper and more conversational and instead felt kind of like your typical interview with questions that you could probably look up and learn about Elon. It didn't bother me at the time, but reflecting back, like I can certainly see how that could have affected people. I think when I was in that room, first of all, it took me 30 minutes to get into his actual room. To Jason's point, I ended up going into the overflow rooms in the beginning. And I remember that this certain point when I was trying to click in and it was filling up and it wasn't able to get in. It was like this feeling that I've had at events before where, you know, you're really anticipating something and excited about it and you're waiting in a line and then you can't get in and it's a big disappointment and you settle for the overflow rooms. I mean, I've literally been in that situation (laughs) um, many times beyond that experience. Like I realized it wasn't like about being in the room because that was like, I think some people might see it as like a clout, like, ooh, I got into the room. You know, I got into Elon's room. I'm in the same room with Elon. And I can see a little bit of the draw, but some of the criticism I'm hearing is how people are really fanboy or fangirling about Elon when like, as you've talked about before, Jason, he's just another human being. He just happens to be (laughs) incredibly wealthy and influential and also really intelligent in a unique way. And uh, I think some people get really triggered by that. So anyways, I'll, we can dive more into that. But I, it took me some time. I finally got into the room. And I, and I admit, like it was kind of fun. It felt like a, a little bit of a historic moment. But that goes away so quickly. And I kept trying to be really present to that. And then I was interested about the response that people would have, which is why I went into another discussion room. And it seems like there's that common reaction that people have to someone that's really influential of like irritation or resentment. Like, ugh, like how could people fangirl over Elon? Like, what's the big deal? He's just a human being or he's not that great. Let me list out all of his flaws and, you know, let's criticize this. And I just like felt the energy in this one room that I was in and that ended up staying a little bit longer because I was actually very fascinated by that response. Like I was also using that as an opportunity to reflect on my reaction to Elon because as Jason and I were talking during the event, you and I were texting back and forth about it. I thought it was awesome. I was like, this is great. Like, I can't wait to see how this impacts Clubhouse, which is why I wish this episode came out sooner because who knows what's happened with Clubhouse between the day we recorded this and the day this episode's been released. Like, it's either going to have a big splash or a mediocre one or maybe not really impacted at all. We don't know. So I'm fascinated by just how platforms like Clubhouse evolve. And I think some people also are speculating on Vlad, who came in from uh, Robinhood, the uh, stock exchange app. And apparently, Jason, I don't know if you heard any of this. I haven't read a thing about the clubhouse since last night. So I don't know what the media is saying right now. But according to the people in the clubhouse room that I was in, in the overflow rooms, there was a lot of discussion about after the event, 
because Vlad from Robin Hood came on with Elon at one point. After the event, people were out to get this man and predicting that he's going to get fired within the next 48 hours. And and there's like all of this reaction to him in addition to what was already happening with Robin Hood for a few days previous. And I'm super curious, like, how that's affecting the stock market and how that's affecting the whole conversation around hedge funds and all of that. And I'm curious, have you seen anything else about it today, Jason? Have you looked into the media? I read an article, I believe it was on, hmm, let me look it up. It was either Wall Street Journal or Business Insider. We'll have to look it up and we will link to that in the show notes. Again, I'll clarify what it is. If you want to access the show notes, anything that Whitney and I mentioned during this episode and all of our episodes is on our website. It's wellevator.com. That's spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And you click on the podcast section, it'll bring you to anything we mention that is for your benefit, books, articles, research, etc. But this article that I read, Whitney, was not being critical of Vlad in particular, but critical of the choice that they had made to restrict the buying of new securities, the buying of new stocks. And they were saying that from a branding perspective, Robinhood's whole ethos and their brand promise right, was that they are opening up investing to the little guy, right? the individual citizen who heretofore has been beholden to some degree to the whims of Wall Street and institutional investors and hedge funds. And they were saying that the damage that has been done is pretty critical because if you're a brand and you have a brand promise of putting the power as they do back in the hands of the individual citizen investor, and then they make a move to restrict, as they did this past week, from having individual citizen investors being able to purchase stocks and securities as they had been, that it breaks their brand promise. It breaks the ethos of their mission. So rather than being critical about Vlad in particular as the CEO, they were saying it was a horrible move as the brand when you promise one thing, that is your mission statement, and then you make a choice that is in direct diametric opposition to that mission. And I thought it really interesting because it got into the dynamics of branding and being careful about delivering on your promise and that the trust that you build with your customers and the public is a very fragile thing. It often takes a long time as a company to build up brand equity and then one or two major moves like cutting people's ability off to trade can potentially shatter the trust that you've built over years with your customer base. So that was the one article I read, Whitney, and I I did find it very poignant and raised a lot of really good points around how careful you have to be when you make a very specific brand promise and then you make moves to break it. Yeah, it's really a fascinating thing if you step back and examine it. And, you know, it just keeps bringing up that idea of cancel culture and integrity, too. I think this was an important thing for us to go through as a country to recognize, like, what's really going on with the stock market and how people are being treated and, and looking at the inequality in terms of money. And I think that's one of the reasons that Elon really triggers people is they just see him as this rich man who's going about life doing, you know, using his influence and being really bold. And that's not really my perception of him. I I think that he's incredibly intelligent and has, you know, big dreams and figured out a way to get, you know, to go where he wants to go in life. And I know that's not always so simple. And I, I've listened to part of his 
biography years ago, actually way before I got my Tesla. So I was like only semi-interested. I think once I got my Tesla, I got a little bit more interested in Elon Musk, mainly because I, as someone who owns the car, I'm staying a little bit more up to date about things he's doing and saying, but there's so much more to him that I don't know. And I think a lot of people don't really know. This is one thing that I'm a big advocate for is certainly we can have our opinions, but we can't state our opinions as if they're facts unless we actually have the facts to back them up. And in this moment, I don't really. But the little that I've learned about him so far is that it feels like he has been really passionate about being an entrepreneur. And he obviously has this big passion for changing the world through automobiles and going to Mars. <laughs> it's like, okay, who else is doing that, right? Like not that many people. So I think he's trying to look at, at, look at all of this as benefiting the human race, but some people don't see it that way. And then certainly you can look at him and wonder like, is this really beneficial or is this pushing us as human beings into a place that isn't really good for us. And I think that's what triggers people. I think people are scared of him in some ways, like because he's so powerful and influential, like people want to like make sure he doesn't change life in ways that we're not fully comfortable with. Do you see it that way too, Jason? I think it's a really complicated discussion because on the one hand, I do believe that there is a somewhat altruistic motive for Elon Musk to shift our economy and our transportation and energy sector to something that is more sustainable. I do think that he does have a vested interest in his personal power at the same time. I think that he's a very complex human being in the sense that he's making these great strides for sustainable energy, sustainable transportation. The thing that concerns me in terms of his personal motives, as he describes continuing to have human consciousness survive in the universe. And when you dive into some of his visions for colonizing Mars by the year 2050, there are concerns that I have. And it's reflected in an article, Whitney, that I want to direct you to and our listeners to that is really interesting and also very disturbing and also not surprising. It's on 10.medium.com. And this article was written two years ago, actually, by an author named Douglas Rushkoff. It's called Survival of the Richest, How the Wealthy Are Plotting to Leave Us Behind. It's a long article, so I'm going to summarize it by saying that this author, Douglas, was invited to what he believed a few years ago was a lecture, like a conference. And when he arrived on this conference, he was ushered into a very small conference room, not a conference at all, but there were five men that he does not have the ability to name that were five of the richest men on the planet. And he realized that he was not there to talk about the information of the future of information technology, they had come and invited him and paid him this money to spend a few hours asking him personal questions. And these five of the richest men on the planet asked him about basically the looming climate crisis. Where is going to be the safest place to live, New Zealand or Alaska? Is Google really building AI technology that allows people to upload their consciousness into external brains? How to maintain authority and build a personal security force? And they talked about this thing called the event, quote, the event, that that was their euphemism for impending environmental collapse or global social unrest, a nuclear explosion, an unstoppable virus, or an AI system that destroys the world. And he goes on to say that for hours, these men revealed their obsession with protecting themselves and making sure that they and their families would continue to be safe. And just to summarize, he says, the author says, that's when it hit me. As far as these wealthy gentlemen were concerned... 
this was a talk about the future of technology, taking their cue from Elon Musk wanting to colonize Mars by 2050, or Peter Thiel reversing his aging process and living forever, or men like Sam Altman and Ray Kurzweil uploading their minds into supercomputers, these men were preparing for a digital future that had a whole lot less to do with making the world a better place than it did with transcending the human condition altogether and insulating themselves from very real and present dangers of climate change, rising sea levels, mass migrations, global pandemics, nativist panics, and resource depletion. For them, harnessing the power of the future of technology is really about one thing, escape. So it's a fantastic article, Whitney, but I'm saying this because I think that Elon wanting to colonize Mars as a huge example, yes, I think it is partly about him wanting human consciousness to continue in the universe, but he said some really fascinating things about how much it's going to cost to get to Mars, that it's going to be potentially a six to nine month ride in a spacecraft, that initially it's only going to be two years that the window will be around. So of course, very, very wealthy people will have privilege because they'll be able to pay for it. And in a recent exchange of tweets and articles, someone asked Elon, well, what about the workers that are going to go there to build the buildings and dig the trenches and set up water systems and start to plant gardens and start to you know, terraform Mars so that it's livable for humans? Like they can't afford, you know, $500,000 for a plane, you know, a, a space ticket to Mars. He said, well, we might offer some sort of work exchange program where, you know, workers and, and skilled laborers can go there and then they can quote, you know, work off the fee it would have taken to give them there. And someone's response, Whitney, was like, well, isn't that just kind of like indentured servitude? Like we'll give you a free, a free ticket to go to Mars, but then you're going to spend X number of years working off your ticket. Their concern is like, is Elon going there to be a dictator? What kind of laws will be enacted? Who's going to have a structure of society? How are we going to build that? My long answer, Whitney, is I think that Elon is a very complicated mixture of altruism and wanting humanity to continue. And let's not, I mean, you don't get to 200, nearly $200 billion unless you do have some sort of desire for power. So- I'm concerned about the wealthy people saying, yeah, fuck off. Enjoy tending to the decimated earth while we go create a new civilization on Mars. And I think that that's something we need to be really careful of. Well, certainly interesting food for thought that I haven't dug into in the way that you have. And, you know, what comes up for me is that it is all based in our human desire to survive. I think we see the threats happening to this planet and are looking for our escape route. It's like, what can I do to avoid that, you know, doomed future? And then as human beings, we also have an interest in living longer, as you do, Jason, or living forever. It's like, I think that's wired into us and wired into our deep desires for survival. And I really believe that's where a lot of this comes from. And including money, like the desire to make a lot of money, it's having access to resources. And I can see how that desire of power too, it's like if I'm more powerful than that, maybe I can survive longer, you know? And and even if we look, strip it away, Jason, like as I was saying at the beginning, the desire to get into the room with Elon last night is part of that because that's like clout or luck or success. If you know the right people, you can get in. If you're there at the right time, you can get in. If you're prepared, maybe you'll get in. You know, all of these factors 
hoping that you can be part of something, you know, and the desire to fangirl or fanboy. Is it that if you get close enough to somebody, you'll feel more protected? Is it that if you're in a circle that you'll have the knowledge to protect yourself or you'll get the tools so that you can build yourself up in the same way? It's like, to me, it just keeps coming back to the desire for survival. I think you're absolutely right. I think that my question in all of this, though, is... If you take something like the idea of immortality, they'll just pluck that out of a very complicated soup of topics we're discussing today. You know, this idea of Elon, since we're talking about him as sort of a central archetype and person in this conversation, you know, with his business Neuralink, how he was saying that initially these tests that he's doing on pigs and monkeys, and I have a lot of mixed feelings about the ethics of this, especially when he's talking about, you know, having monkeys that are using thought forms to play video games. It's like, is this really the best use of our resources? And that's maybe a side conversation in terms of ethics and using animals to test human applications on animals, which historically I don't think are all that effective, especially in applications like this. But I think the point, Whitney, is if we do have the technology to, say, transfer our consciousness telepathically, digitally into a hard drive, a robot body, a biological clone of ourselves, like Avatar, so to speak, just because we can do it, should we do it? Like this really gets into the ethics of technology and biotech and consciousness. And my curiosity, aside from the ethical implications of this, is more about a spiritual examination of even if that was an option and I had the money to do it, because we all know that will not be free. (laughs) <laughs> at least not in the current structure of our capitalist system, you know, you will pay to transfer your consciousness into a different vessel, be that robot or biological, should we do it? And if I had the option, how would that reframe my relationship to life? Because in some sense, Wit, I think that maybe our appreciation sense of love and connection, and to some degree, our sense of urgency to create and do certain things is fueled by our awareness that our physical body is going to die. That Whitney and Jason, the idea of Whitney and Jason, the vessels that they call Whitney and Jason will die one day. We can talk about consciousness and soul and where our souls go. Maybe we could dip into that, but I'm curious, Whitney, you know, what would your framework be around this? Let's say, you know, we fast forward 30 years in the future. You and I are standing in in 2050. We're in our 60s and 70s. And they're like, hey, you know, for $25,000, just throwing out a random ass number, you know, you can, you know, take your consciousness and upload it into this other vessel. Would you want to do it though? And how would that affect how you even approach life if you had the perception you could theoretically just keep changing vessels ad infinitum till the end of time? How would the idea of immortality affect your level of appreciation, urgency, focus, creativity? And would you even want that? I'm asking you that, not as a rhetorical question. I'm, I'm asking, would, do you think you would choose that? I don't know. I guess I'm one of those people that if it's presented to me and I, I can evaluate it more, that helps me make a decision. Perfect example is the vaccines right now. Like, I'm not jumping the gun to get the vaccines. I want to step back and wait and see how it's working for other people to get like for me, there's certain things like this that I'm not quite an early adopter at. Like I like to see how things are going for other people. And I suppose I'm like that with many things. And in fact, I want to look up the definition of early adopter because there's the little curve. Oh, I love this graphic. So if you just type early adopter and do an image search, it shows you the curve of how people 
often make decisions on things. Adoption curve is what it's called. And actually, it does make sense that I would be in the early adopter category because that's not the first part of the curve. The first one is the innovators and disruptors. And I would not put myself in that category. That would probably be Elon Musk. That's typically where a lot of these technology companies are in. Those are the people that are just like willing to be the very first ones to do something and willing to take a lot of risks. I feel like the early adopters like myself wait to see how it goes for those people. And then if it makes sense, we will get into that realm and do it. And then there's the early majority, the late majority, and the laggards. And if you look at the image of the curve, like the early majority and the late majority tend to be the mainstream and the most amount of people that are doing that. And it's fascinating because I like to try to take in all of that information to decide what I'm going to do. There's another one that I'm looking at right now that describes it. The first part of this is the innovators and the technology enthusiasts. Then it's the early adapters and the visionaries. So I guess it depends on your definitions. People that typically like want something. We like the the development side of it. That's very exciting. Then it becomes more of the pragmatists and the conservatives, the people that want solutions and convenience, but maybe need to wait to get more information. And I always find that this is interesting to look at in terms of how we react to something. Are we on the side of creating something and visualizing the visionary side of it? Are we a little bit more critical of something? Are we more of a spectator? Are we more inactive? Where would you put yourself? I'm going to guess, Jason, that you're a little bit more in the early majority side of most things because I've noticed that I'll often bring up an idea to you as an early adopter, but you generally don't jump on super fast. Maybe you need to wait for a little bit more social proof. Would you say that's right? Where do you think you fall in this? I think that's accurate because, first of all, I think that there's a certain amount of bugs that need to be worked out in a beta phase of a product, be that a new vehicle, a vaccine, certainly if we're talking about AI and consciousness technology. And it's not a bad thing. Working out bugs and learning as you go, I think, is part of the experience of consciousness on this planet. For me, I think it's more about perhaps a feeling of safety and that I can count on this thing that I am investing my financial resources into, that I don't necessarily feel like being a beta tester for a corporation selling me a product to work out the bugs and the flaws on. Some people don't mind that. I'm a big fan of reliability. I want to know if I'm investing my resources into something that it's going to be reliable, that it's going to do what it says it's going to do. I think that's part of just my sort of value system of value in life, generally speaking. But I also, I think as we get into fully autonomous cars, we get into more advanced vaccines and medical delivery systems, as Elon was talking about on Clubhouse last night, where you're taking digitally created mRNA sequences and enclosing them in a lipid barrier, which is like, boom, right straight into the human genetic system that this is going to be really interesting for the future of disease and the future of treating disease. But it's also like injecting ourselves with digitally created mRNA sequences and lipid barriers sounds like something maybe the human biological system is going to need to take to have some time to get used to. You know, we're going to need to really have a lot more time to see how people are reacting to these kinds of things. So I think part of it is a desire for safety on my part, a desire for reliability and not necessarily wanting to be like, for lack of a better word, a human guinea pig for certain things. That doesn't really interest me. Some people don't mind. Some people are super fascinated by that. 
it doesn't feel like something that I want to engage in per se, Whitney. So I think you're right on in terms of the maybe early majority category where I would slot into. I'm certainly not a Luddite. I'm certainly not like, I can't trust this technology. What is all this? I mean, I've, I've talked on the podcast how much I love analog technology. I love vinyl records. I love stick shift cars. I love going to vintage clothing stores. There's just a lot of analog tech that I love. But I do think that for me, I don't know. I think it's a safety and a control and a reliability thing if I get to the core of it for myself. Yeah. And I think this is why Elon Musk triggers a lot of people is that he has access to, of course, money, but also his money is giving him access to people and data and information that the majority of us as human beings don't have access to. And I think that's part of the reason that I'm so intrigued by him. I'm like, well, clearly this man is studying things. He's very strategic. And it's like, if you listen to him, you can start to gain some information. And and I, that's actually one thing I really like about him. He doesn't feel, from my perception, super secretive, Jason. Like Even when he brought on Vlad from Robin Hood, it felt like he just wanted him to share openly. It's almost like Elon Musk struggles to censor himself, which has gotten him into some trouble. And I didn't really feel like that was happening on Clubhouse last night because it wasn't set up to be that way. When I was in the the room afterwards, they were speculating about how involved like a PR team was. And I don't know, I kind of get the feeling that Elon Musk is not super, what's the term? Like he just doesn't censor himself. And he doesn't want to be led by a PR team, almost kind of like Donald Trump, you know, like Donald Trump just kind of did a lot that he wanted to. And he was advised at times, maybe sometimes he listened to people. But a lot of the times Donald Trump was just saying whatever the fuck he wanted. And that's my perception of Elon Musk. Do you get that too, Jason? Well, yeah, I mean, he dissolved Tesla's public relations division. I don't know if you knew that, Whitney, but last year, I was reading in some technology and automotive journal blogs that they were attempting to reach out to Tesla's PR department for comment on certain things, whether those were fatalities that happened as a result of you know autopilot or whatever the case was. And they said that sometime in 2020, I don't know the exact timing of it, that you can no longer get a comment because Tesla no longer has a public relations or marketing division. Like it's just gone. So I think to your point, you know, I think success and wealth and influence and power is sort of hand in hand with boldness and brazenness in certain people to the point where we know that if you have a certain amount of money and influence and power on this planet, I mean, what's the colloquial phrase? Like if someone has fuck you money, <laughs> like there's there's money and then there's like fuck you money. And I think, you know, nearing $200 billion worth of net worth is like more than the GDP of certain small nations. You know, I mean, he's wielding an amount of money and power and influence that if we go back and we kind of tie into this conversation about Robin Hood and a lot of the ways in which the, you know, the Reddit army is sort of manipulating markets and we see how the Securities and Exchange Commission and these hedge funds basically running to the government saying, help us, help us, we need bailouts that, you know, the part of the concern that I've read with the government and the SEC in particular was how much power does Elon Musk have when he tweets out, you know, rallying the Reddit army and, you know, him encouraging in his tweet storms to have individual citizen investors go and bankrupt these hedge funds and encouraging people to invest in Dogecoin and some of these really obscure uh, cryptocurrencies that 
the SEC, I've, I've been reading, is concerned about how much power he has through his social media comments to influence markets. And it's very real, Whitney. I mean, he was saying last night on Clubhouse how he was saying the tweets about Dogecoin were jokes, but people took it seriously and Dogecoin went up like something fucking crazy, like 1700% or something. And he was saying like, I was joking, guys. I wasn't actually telling you to go and rally and you know have this ridiculous crypto like go through the roof, but people did it. They didn't take it as a joke. So it's interesting to think about, you bring up Donald Trump and how on social media, Whitney, you know, he had a hand in the insurrection and a very strong hand in not denouncing certain people that were trying to overthrow our government. And similarly, when Elon tweets out about a stock or a cryptocurrency, that people take it very fucking seriously. And that can either be viewed as empowering or like the SEC and the government saying, mm, this dude might have way too much power over his followers, as you said, his fanboys and fangirls, who take what he says as gospel, Whitney. You know, they don't see it as a joke. They're like, all right, let's go buy up Dogecoin. Let's go, you know, let's go bankrupt these hedge funds. And I don't know necessarily if it is healthy for that person being Elon to have that much sway over the public. Who knows? I guess you can say that about, I mean, anyone, like, what are you going to do? I guess the question is like, how do you stop something like this? As we come and come to as a answer on this podcast is, well, we just have to be more aware. I think one of the best ways to become more aware is when someone points it out and says like, well, what if you looked at it a different way? Just kind of like what happened to me last night, because I was caught up in the semi-fangirl response to Elon. And then when I got into the room, that was a little bit like skeptical slash maybe even anti-Elon Musk. That was kind of humbling, I suppose, or eye-opening perhaps. like I got to look at it from other people's perspectives and better understand it. And then that helped me step back and examine myself. And I've actually had to do this a lot on Clubhouse. Clubhouse, as I, I think I've mentioned on the show, it triggers me in this this really intense way. It, it's similar to like the feeling of FOMO. There's like a rush to accomplish things. Although I will say, that yesterday, thanks to Elon Musk, now if we look at some plus sides to this, like in the smaller side of our lives, I posted that I had 11 invites to Clubhouse yesterday because that was the most I had accumulated over time. For those of you that aren't on the platform, you get a few invites, one or two invites when you first join the platform. And then the more time you spend on it running rooms or interacting, you get more invites. And in the beginning, I was giving them out to like, anybody I could think of without even asking them. And then I kind of like wasted some of them because I think there's still like five people I've invited that never responded to it. And the way Clubhouse works is you can't like revoke your invitation. But anyways, now I've become a little bit more mindful of giving them out to only people who want them. And yesterday I felt like, gosh, there's probably so many people hearing about Elon Musk going on Clubhouse and either wanting to listen to him or just now that they know about the platform, they want to get on there too. So I posted on like most of my social media platforms, or I guess a few of them, I would say, I think I posted on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I put said like, hey, if you need an invite, send me a message, I'll hook you up with it. And I got so many people asking, Jason. And it was really cool because I had a handful of people I hadn't heard from in years that were suddenly like, hey, we need your help now. <laughs> I haven't talked to you in a while and I hope you don't mind that I'm asking. 
And then I also got a few strangers. Some of them came because they saw my tweet, which was connected to Elon Musk's tweet about Clubhouse. Some of them came from Pat Flynn, who's a big podcaster. And he had mentioned me in one of his posts about Elon. And I got hit up by some of his followers. And it was really cool, Jason, because I felt like I was helping people check out this platform and they were so grateful. And I, I don't think I would have thought to do that were it not for this big event that happened. And that to me is like the best part about Clubhouse. As we spoke about in one episode, you and I got connected to this amazing man a week ago named Greg. And now we're running rooms together to help brands and other people in the natural products industry. And I don't think we would have done something like that, Jason, if it weren't for Clubhouse. And if we look at Elon Musk's part of all of this, it's like he's making Clubhouse feel more legitimate and piquing people's interest, which brings them onto a platform where if somebody is either fortunate, you know, just because they happen upon the right room and the right people there, or more strategic and aware of what they're doing on there, you can really have a lot of incredible experiences on that platform that I'm not finding anywhere else. And the reason that Elon Musk going on there was so special is it showed that. I mean, there were minimum 50,000 people on that app last night listening to Elon Musk. And that's insane. It was the first time that you saw a room fill up. Like, I didn't know that Clubhouse rooms could fill up. There was so much exposure to this platform and getting all those people on here to start these conversations. And like, as I said at the very beginning, we're likely going to see a big ripple effect to that. So yeah, you can get like caught up in the potential negative elements of what Elon is doing and other people in his place. But if we look at it in this very like current perspective, Jason, I think that there's still a lot of good. And if we stay aware, then just like we did with the president, like I think we've seen how collectively as human beings, we can make big changes. We have seen that with Black Lives Matter. Like there was so much momentum that was built with that movement last year, even though it stemmed out of some horrific events. It has caused people like myself to become much better allies. And that was that it took like something really horrifying to trigger that within me, sadly. And I think Elon Musk, in a way, like any of these people that are not feeling great about him, we can collectively try to do something about it. And then maybe we can even shape more of how he's interacting, right? Going back to Donald Trump, like he just wasn't working for us as a president. He was doing some, you know, from many perspectives, toxic things to our country. And collectively, we made a change there. And, you know, at the time, a few months ago, Jason, it felt like in some ways, maybe we were powerless. In some ways, we were afraid that we wouldn't be able to make a change. But what happened last year in our country with the election, like really show that there are strengths when we come together and we are really determined to make a change. I think it's important to remember that when you talk about this power to change that we as individuals have choices every single day. Doesn't mean that they're easy choices, but I think they're simple choices in the sense that if we have an example of wanting to put a hedge fund out of business, the individual people are showing that they have the power to do that. If we don't want to support a billionaire entrepreneur, we don't have to buy their products. You know, And I'm not saying this to be pedantic or overly simplistic, but really it comes down to 
money is embodied energy. Voting is embodied energy. Marching, gathering, organizing, all embodied directed energy. And so if there's something we disagree with or want to change, we are not powerless to your point, Whitney. We can organize, we can direct our intelligence, our talents, our financial resources to or away from things we either agree or disagree with. And I think that the thing that I feel a lot of mixed feelings about in regard to some of the initiatives that I suppose I'm just sitting with and trying to figure out how I really feel is, you know, Elon has said that he wants to and has begun to sell all of his assets. He doesn't have any houses that he owns anymore. He sold all of his 10 properties in California because he wants to free up enough resources to be able to put into these endeavors, particularly the Mars colonization. You know, my question is like, okay, on the one hand, you want to accelerate the advent and the utilization and adoption of sustainable energy, wanting to reduce the price of electric cars, making power walls available, solar panels, but then investing hundreds of billions of dollars eventually, as you say, or maybe even trillions into setting up a human colony on Mars. And my whole thing is like, one of the billionaires responded, and I can't remember who it was, I'll have to look it up, but said basically, quote, the earth needs more heroes. Like, why are you investing all this money into colonizing Mars when you could take, say, $100 billion and invest in the acceleration of carbon sequestration technology? Like, let's get the carbon out of the atmosphere. Or why don't you invest that $100 million into regenerative agriculture and reducing the dependence on factory farming and all the carbon and the methane that's being put in the environment through factory farming? And I think those are valid points. It's like, why are we putting all this money into a, quote, escape hatch of running away to Mars in 30 years? Like, put more of that money into healing the planet. And again, I think it's a very complex thing because in some cases, yes, he's a capitalist. Yes, he's an entrepreneur. He wants to make money because money is embodied energy that allows him to carry out these visions. But I do kind of think that's an interesting point, Wit, is why put all this money into the proverbial escape hatch for humanity of setting up a new society and environment on Mars when put that money into healing the earth? Because I might feel differently in 30 years. I don't know. But the idea of leaving the earth behind and being like, good luck, everyone, we're going to Mars. I don't know. There's something about that mentality that doesn't sit well with me. And I'm trying to figure out why. You know, I just feel like we can, first of all, I mean, the earth is a very intelligent, complex systematic thing that can heal itself. I mean, I really feel like if we were to be less brutal with how we treat the earth, the earth would regenerate itself. So I guess that's my point is I personally would like to see Elon funneling more of his money into healing and regenerating the planet rather than, you know, creating an escape possibility in 30 years for humanity. That's just my two cents. And I think that makes a lot of sense, I guess when it comes to someone that big, like you have to find a way to reach them. And it's like, of course, we want those things, Jason. But in order for us to initiate change, we have to get more involved. You know, we have to find a way to encourage him to do that. And that can be starting petitions or movements or publications and connecting with the people that know him and seeing what can be done to better understand what exactly he's doing, you know, because Electric cars aren't perfect. They're not the answer to the planet, right? But he has made a lot of strides and raised a lot of awareness. Now, notice how long it's taken for people to 
feel comfortable with electric cars. It's still a work in progress. You know, most people don't have electric cars or I don't know the statistics, actually, maybe I'm wrong, but still like most people I know don't have electric cars. I'm one of a few people in my life and I know a lot of environmental people. And again, electric cars are not the answer. So perhaps people don't have them for another reason, because certainly buying a new car just because it's electric, that's actually not great for the environment. We're not going to get into that today. But my point being is that my perception is that he has examined this from a business standpoint and wondering, like, how can he make an impact on the environment? And then he's maybe has a personal mission to get to Mars for whatever reason. And that might be why it feels a little uncomfortable, Jason, is because it feels inaccessible. And maybe it also feels like, is this just Elon Musk gaining a lot of power to make his childhood dream come true? Like, I don't know. I think it would take a really deep dive look into him from a lot of different sources to really understand exactly what this man is doing and why. And I think in the meantime, or in addition to doing that, it's like, well, how can we create more change? Like you and I have our platforms. So certainly we can continue to talk more about the environment. We can start to encourage our audience and use that ripple effect. And we just have to be dedicated for a long period of time. You know, this is not a short term fix. This is something that we all have to collectively get more involved with. And it's a little disheartening to me because so many people are trying to create positive change in the environment. And there's still so much resistance for whatever reason. And and we might be doomed as human beings if we don't get our act together. And I think on the negative side, we have had a lot of experiences in our lifetime that have shown that human beings struggle to do something collectively. But one thing we all have in common is that we all live on the same planet right now. And so maybe if it's positioned us in a way that we can really easily understand and make a change, then we can. I don't think it's just about Elon Musk. I don't think Elon Musk is like the make or break person for us. I think he's just got a lot of influence and hopefully he's using his money for good and doing it for a good reason that we might not fully understand. But without fully knowing if that's the case in the meantime, your concern and pause is really important, Jason, because I think the big key here is to not just look at somebody and trying to model ourselves after, admire them without recognizing that they have room to grow too. And at the same time, one big thing that came up for me last night when I was listening to the people that were critical of Elon Musk is they started to like point out some other people. And there's this human tendency to, yeah, but. Uh, I don't know if you and I have talked about this, Jason. I'm going to try to find this article. It was written by Tall... I'm afraid I'm going to mispronounce his name, but he wrote a book called The Pursuit of Perfect. And he talks about this idea around, yeah, budding people that are influential, right? And how we have a tendency to find somebody that's in a position of power or influence and find their flaws to try to drag them down. And I wonder sometimes, like, is that why people say things that are negative about Elon Musk. It's like, if they can really back up what they're saying with resources, like you were sharing, Jason, that one article that you had referenced, I can see how that's a a point of concern. But for people just wanting to find a flaw in somebody that makes a lot of money and has a lot of influence and power, I think we need to step back and say, like, are we just doing this out of some sort of desire to drag people down to our level? Well, I think what you bring up is 
something that I want to talk about first an analogy and then a concern around human consciousness. The analogy, which might be a little clunky, but it just came to me in this moment. The concern that I have in investing so many resources and billions of dollars in technology into creating a colony on Mars or the possibility of colony on Mars is sort of this mentality of, well, we tried Earth. Sorry. Good luck, everyone who's left behind there. We're going to just go to Mars and create a whole new civilization there. But we tried. We really did. We made electric cars and we tried as best as we could, but sorry, it's just not working out. We're going to go try over here. It's almost like when, and this is a clunky, but it's it makes sense in my mind of you're in a relationship, you put years of effort toward it, you go to therapy, you try and heal it. And then at some point you're just like, you know, this isn't working. I'm going to go try with that person over there. There's sort of this... One reason why I don't know that it will work is because if we don't address the most concerning parts of the human experience, greed, power hungriness, oppression, prejudice, racism, these things are not going to magically go away when we cultivate and terraform a new planet. If we as a human civilization bring our pathos, our psychopathies, our pain, our traumas, our oppression, our prejudices, our greed, then if we don't address the deepest wounds of the collective human psyche, Whitney, the same shit's going to happen on Mars. Because so what? We're bringing in talented engineers and programmers and CEOs and rich people and maybe devise a new set of laws and a new constitution, a new way of operating. Maybe. But I think if we don't address the most painful, violent, troubling parts of our humanity and our you know, our psychology and the way that we treat each other, who's to say that we wouldn't have an incredibly similar experience of human society by the time we got to Mars? We would just be going to a different planet and bringing all of those things along with us. So my whole thing is, unless we figure out how to live together here on Earth, and unless we figure out how to heal ourselves, our society, our collective wounds and violence and pain and separation and class warfare and all the shit we're dealing with, we're just going to take that shit with us to Mars. It'll be no different. It'll be no different unless we heal it here. Absolutely. And, you know, the same thing comes up for me on a platform like Clubhouse, Jason. It's like... People wanting to get on the platform because it's the new thing. And it's like, oh, we get to start from scratch and we get to be on another social media platform. And there's all these like hopes and dreams of creating more influence and getting more followers and growing your business. And it's like, we've been through this before. Like, I mean, I certainly went through that semi-recently with TikTok. And I remember just all these different platforms coming up and dangling these promises of a good life, you know, and now there's clubhouse influencers. And <laughs> it's like, so interesting, because it's just another platform. And uh, you might find success on there. I've certainly seen this happen on TikTok, you know, some people who have been trying for years to become influential, like their whole careers have been made through TikTok, which is great. But as we've talked about before, just because you have a ton of followers, and you get more money and cloud and whatever else you're after, it doesn't mean that your life is going to be that much different. You're just the same person with more followers and more money and more power, perhaps. You know, it's like at the core, 
you're still you and you still have issues. And I think that idea of like going to Mars is not going to solve all your problems, just like becoming an influencer on any of these platforms is not going to solve your problems. It just makes you feel really good and makes other people admire you. But then, you know, even Elon Musk in his talk was saying like he still leads a life similar to a lot of other people. He's still watching TV shows and having trouble with sleep. And what else did he rattle off, Jason? Like, I remember you and I were saying like, gosh, it's so refreshing to hear Elon share that he's going through this stuff too. Yeah. I mean, I actually wrote down a list of quotes that were amazing. One of my favorites was, I don't like chores, but if I don't do my chores, things go to hell. And I was like, yeah, relatable. You know, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff every day that I'm like, ugh, do I have to do this shit? But I know, you know, if I don't show up for my business and do my emails and take responsibility for the agreements I've made in life, chaos, I mean, the reality is chaos is going to be there no matter what. But I find that, you know, if we don't do our chores, like Elon said, or we shirk our responsibilities too long, the chaos amplifies. It really does. And so he had a lot of very human moments in that conversation last night. And, you know, to me, I think I just go back to the analogy of, It's this idea that if we just change jobs, we just change relationships, we just get a new car, we just make more money, we have more followers, then magically somehow our lives are going to change. But I think, again, the foundation of this mentality, Whitney, is very much at the heart of my concern about this Mars colonization of, well, let's just change planets. Let's take everything we've learned and just change planets and start fresh. But yeah, if we're a violent, oppressive, hateful species that can't get along together, then what's going to be different? I mean, how many empires have we seen rise and fall on this planet? Rome, Egypt, Sumeria, Persia, now the US. So some people people are saying the cycle of the US empire is going to fall soon because of the cyclical nature of history. But in some ways, a lot of those civilizations made the same mistakes with class warfare and greed and manipulation of the financial systems. I mean, if you really look at history, Whitney, these ancient civilizations that ruled for, you know, some of them thousands of years, they kind of made very similar mistakes. So again, I think at at a level of mental health and psychopathy and culture and repeating the same mistakes, my whole thing is like, I'm not getting on a spaceship to go to Mars if we're still killing each other and hating each other and judging each other and trying. everyone's trying to be rich and powerful and famous because the same shit's just going to go on there. I'm not interested in that. Like, put me in the forest. I'd rather go to like my tiny house in the forest with the people I love and my animals and being like, y'all figure it out. Bye. You know, because I do think unless we do get to the heart of these very concerning aspects of the way that we engage with one another as human beings... You could plop us anywhere in the universe and we're going to keep making the same mistakes. That's probably my biggest concern with all of this. You know, and at the same time, like, there's a part of me that kind of gets interested in the idea of taking a space travel to another planet, though. You mentioned Elon living out this childhood dream. Is there a part of, like, my child brain, my inner child that's like, ooh, what would it be like to actually leave the Earth and get on a spaceship? That sounds fascinating. What would it be like to... As my body ages and dies, if I'm in my 90s to have this, you know, cool cyborg Iron Man suit that I could just like upload my consciousness into. So I'm not saying this because I'm a hater or I'm wanting to poo poo Elon or the progress of technology. But I think that uploading our consciousness into Iron Man suits that have the ability to fly or shoot lasers or whatever the case is going to be 30, 40 years from now. Again, if we're not 
fixing things at the level of how we treat each other, if we're not kind to one another, if we're not sharing resources, then we'll just be flying around in these robot bodies with new technology of how to wound one another and how to treat each other poorly. I don't want that future. So I guess at the core, like I want to do whatever is in my power, Whitney, to, to change how we treat one another. And that starts on, on a level of self, doesn't it? We talk about examining our own racist tendencies, examining our own ways that we want power and control and influence at any cost, examining the ways that we're careless with our resources in life. I mean, these are really important questions we need to stare down as a human race before we decide to get into robot bodies and leave the planet. I think that's where I want to, you know, where I'm leaving this is I want to be sure that I'm doing everything in my power to create a more fair, equitable, loving, compassionate world so that we're not taking all this bullshit to different places in the galaxy. <laughs> that's where I'm at with it. Well, it's been really great hearing that perspective. And I think this is a, a wonderful opportunity for us to encourage the listener to reach out and share your perspectives on Clubhouse, Elon Musk, Robin Hood, stock market, Mars, all these different subject matters that have come up and how you feel about it and what research have you done? What have you felt ignorant about and what changes would you like to make? How are you getting involved with these changes? These are all important questions for us and important for us to explore. You know, we we actually got very close to having Kimball Musk, Elon's brother, on the show. And I was just thinking yesterday how I'd love to follow up to have him on and not to talk about Elon because I felt like that might be exploiting him, but certainly would be interesting. And, and I guess knowing about the work that Kimball does gives me some hope about Elon, Jason, because Kimball's very involved in the food industry and making a change there. And he, he just kind of has almost like a grassroots feel about him. And he's very supportive of his brother. It seems like they have a good relationship. But to me, it's like they seem to have this passion in common for the earth. And it, it's expressed in different ways. And it's done in like... Kimball especially just has this sweet, authentic vibe about him and the fact that he was open to being on our show. And for the listener, the only reason that he hasn't been on our, our show yet, as far as we're aware, is because we were going to record with him last March at an event that got canceled due to COVID. And then we tried to reschedule a few months later when we switched over to doing audio or I'm sorry, virtual recording, but our confidence wasn't fully there. So now that we've gotten in this flow, Jason, I think it's a good opportunity to revisit it and see if we can make that happen. And again, not to talk about Elon, like I don't want anyone to feel like we're exploiting them and bringing them on to get to somebody else. But it would be interesting just to see that insight, that look into the work that he's doing and perhaps how that's overlapped and affecting one another. And it's amazing to see like other family members and what they have in common with, with each other based on how they were raised and the dreams that they had as kids. So, so we'll see if we can make that happen. In the meantime, we have so many incredible guests from all different backgrounds and all different perspectives coming on to talk about different elements of life from the hardships to the amazing things and the tools. And, and we're just so honored to have you as a listener and have amazing people on that we hope are benefiting your life in many different ways. So if you haven't yet 
hit subscribe. You can reach out to us through social media. If you're on Clubhouse, hit us up there. We're very easy to find. Most of our accounts are under at Wellevator. We put the links in the show notes, which again are at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. There's a comment section there if you prefer. If you're not on social media, you can just leave a comment. You can find our email on our website. That is the best hub to learn more about us and the show and also help spread the word. If this episode or others resonate with you, you can copy and paste the URL from our website from every individual episode has its own URL at podcast.wellevator.com. You can share that around and make it easy for anyone else to listen and be part of the discussion too. So thanks again for checking out this episode and we look forward to connecting with you again on social media and in upcoming episodes. Until then, wishing you the very best and certainly (laughs) can't wait to hear what you think about this subject matter because it can evoke a lot of interesting perspectives and opinions. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 